Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Morning everyone, here it's me again, Jane, calling, oh, calling in from Naples. Um, in case you didn't know, the 16th of February, uh, where I come from, is National Tim Tam Day. Ever had a Tim Tam? If there are any fellow Australians listening or you want to phone in, happy Tim Tam Day to you. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So as I said before, if you are, or if you have ever had a Tim Tam, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, this morning, I have a very, very special guest. I don't know if she's fond of Tim Tams or has ever eaten one, um, but I will be inviting her to speak in just a moment. I have Roxanne Padley, um, who is a university researcher. And this morning we'll be looking at online perception. And I read quite an interesting article recently on self-perception. It had to do with selfies and how using a mobile phone camera can actually distort the image. Now, normal cameras obviously have a certain length of um, to take a photograph and it can vary. Um, with mobile phones, it's actually smaller and so this distorts the image. Normal cameras, or normal cameras on phones range from about 40 to 270 millimeters in length. And I've just heard that the iPhone Pro Max 13 has a 23 millimeter length, which is even further, which is even smaller and could possibly distort images even further. Thinking about that, thinking about our students and the effect that it can have on them, um, I am going to talk to Roxanne about the research that she's been carrying out on online, uh, the with online communication, the effect of the perception of your appearance. Um, so we'll be hearing a little bit more from her in just a second. Now I can see you there, Roxanne, um, and I'm just going to unmute you. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Rox. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. Yeah. Happy Tim Tam Day to you. Well, thank you very much. Um, I don't think I'm the same uh, level of fan of Tim Tams as, as what I heard you speaking about, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear <laughs> that it's Tim Tam Day. So happy Tim Tam Day. Uh, I've actually you. never heard of it. Obviously, this is, these are the random things that you find on <laughs> on the wonderful world that is the, the World Wide Web. Um, I don't ever remember celebrating <laughs> National Tim Tam Day, but you know, um, marketing as it is, uh, there's an excuse for, for any kind of celebration these days. Um, have you ever tried one? No, it's not something that I am familiar with. It's not something that I remember. As So I grew up in, in the UK and I'm looking, uh, I'm Googling Tim Tams and I can see 
that uh, it's an Australian biscuit. So may, perhaps the other listeners can write in the chat and let me know if, if it is on the market in the UK, but it's not something that I remember eating. So no, no. unfortunately not. Perhaps, Jane, if you, if you have a stash. Uh, I don't actually because it's been, I haven't been able to get home for <laughs> over two years, unfortunately. Right. My parents yeah. are, are hopefully coming next month, so... If they do, I'll get them to, to bring a few. But I did actually hear that Aldi in the UK have produced something similar and um, it's pretty hot on off the shelves there. <laughs> but there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it and get back to you. Linking it, linking it, obviously, to um, to appearance is probably not one of the best things to overindulge in. Not necessarily. Chocolate is, uh, is chocolate. There's exactly. no, nothing else to add there. Yeah, absolutely. Necessary. Mm -hmm. um, now, Roxanne, you yes. have been teaching for quite a long time. Um, yeah, a little while. It's about 13 years now. And do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about your, your career, where you've been? Uh, I know you've done loads of, of different and... and extremely interesting things. Do you want to just talk us through your your teaching career? Of course, it would be my, my pleasure. So, um, as I said, I have been teaching now for just around 13 years. And my first ever experience as a, as a teacher, and I, I think it's important maybe for the listeners to know that the majority of my teaching, first of all, took place within um, an EFL context and then has recently moved on a little bit. I'll come back to that. Um, so my first experience actually was during my Erasmus time, so uh, at university, and I was a language assistant for the uh, British Council Erasmus program. So that was my first taster. From there, after I finished uni, I actually, and that was in Spain in a place called Cáceres, or Cáceres with a Spanish accent, and which is in the region of Extremadura. It's not very well known to tourists. It's uh, the region between Madrid and the border of Portugal. <clears throat> After I graduated, then I spent some more time in Spain because I, I, I really do love it there. Um, in Córdoba, that was my first job after I completed the CELTA um, qualification, which is a, an, an essential EFL qualification. Um, and then soon after that, I actually moved over to, to Italy and I worked in Naples for, for several years. I did work in a couple of, of schools which... Were, were very interesting, but then I finally found uh, my place at the British Council in Naples, um, where I spent a, a good few years, uh, met many friends, and, and worked particularly on my own professional development there as well, where I was able to complete a Delta, which is you know, uh, the next step in, yeah. in those kinds of qualifications. And then after that, um, I, I took an interest in the universities in the area. So one of the first universities I worked for as a language assistant there was in Naples. It's called the Orientale. Mm -hmm. And then soon after that, I moved down to Salerno, which is about an hour south of Naples. It's just near the Amalfi Coast, for those of you who maybe don't know it as well as Naples. And so they, probably know, they probably know the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> I think people know the Amalfi Coast. Yeah. So the kind of the, the gateway onto the Amalfi Coast would be the, the city of, of Salerno, and that's the, the current university where I am. And as things stand, aside from the PhD, which I think we'll come on to later, which I'm currently in my final year of, mm -hmm. I'm working now in English 
for specific purposes as I'm working at the departments of medicine and I'm looking particularly, of course, therefore at uh, English for future medics. And I also work for another university where I'm doing technical English. Uh On the side of that as well, I'm also an examiner. So I do do Cambridge uh, speaking exams as well as IELTS speaking exams as well. Um, And then sometimes uh, in my, you know, in recent times, I've also before the pandemic, of course, done a little bit of volunteering. Uh, In the past, I, I spent some time with the Marifiki community which is in in Kenya not far away from Nairobi where yeah. I taught English in an orphanage and then I've also collaborated with the with the it's called the Sant'Egidio uh, community in Italy as well mm-hmm. um, there's the, the school of peace Scuola della Pace uh, in Italian where yes. I have also volunteered sometimes so uh, really that that's me in terms of, of teaching um, and my my experience uh, over the last 13 years Incredible. Um, okay. <laughs> um, busy. You, uh, busy. Um, and you, you are, are a very, very busy person. It's quite hard to, to, get, <laughs> to get hold of you and, and actually catch up with you um, because you're always, um, you're always traveling. Um, I know you were in Cambridge for quite a lot of the, the lockdown mm. and, and that was where you were, were, were doing your research. Um, it was the Zoom Boom studying, which I, I love as a, as a title. <laughs> Do you want to tell um, our listeners a little bit about the study itself and what, what we can perhaps learn from it that we may be able to transfer to our students? That's quite a lot to us. Tell us about, tell us about the study first. <laughs> Okay, I will. Um, so uh, just before, if you don't mind, I move on to, to talking about the study, I'll just give a little bit of the context of, of, of my PhD, just so that people are aware, more or less of the things that I was looking at, and then what, what led me on to um, investigating the, the Zoom boom. So um, as part, of, I'm doing a PhD in linguistics at the moment, and in particular, I'm focusing on healthcare communication, which is also something which can be applied to, to the classroom, perhaps we can talk about that later as well. Um, and in particular, I'm interested in the field of cosmetic surgery um, and how the interaction takes place within the consultations. So as I was uh, in the process of, of, of carrying out the research for, for my PhD, and of course that was slightly delayed uh, and put on hold almost um, during the, the lockdown period. So in Italy for the majority of that and, and some mm. uh, tiny bit was uh, through some experience in Cambridge and in that sense um, all surgery in terms of plastic surgery because it's elective was put on hold so what that meant was is that all kinds of cosmetic surgery as well was put on hold um, and therefore there were actually no there was no possibility for people to have any kind of operation in terms of cosmetic surgery. Mm. Now, in the meantime, uh, it, there was this concept of the Zoom boom, which came out initially in the press. And what was uh, initially identified was that there was an increase in the requests for the general public to have private consultations with cosmetic surgeons. And in the UK, they identified um, an increase of 70%. 
and in the USA that was 64%. So that really wow. spiked my in- exactly. So that really spiked my interest and I thought okay so what could the reasons be then behind um this what has then later been called the zoom boom why are people seeking out the these teleconsultations with plastic surgeons now there are a variety of 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 reasons of course it's also easier that that might be the immediate uh, answer it's easier to access the surgeons if you're doing it at a distance um but initially then what my study was looking to identify was has all of the online uh time and all the video conferencing that the majority of us have had to do Mm. during the pandemic had that influenced the way in which people were perceiving themselves so similar to what you said jane before about the selfies and could that be distorting how they perceive themselves and how they see themselves and could that be a reason why um people were seeking out consultations and then potentially wanting to uh you know touch up or rejuvenate redo parts of their faces particularly so we're looking at the upper part of the body in that case and Mm. we're also talking uh there was another term that was coined which was called the lockdown faces uh so (laughs) exactly so something that came out of that was um people perhaps wanted to to have something done to their face uh and that was then coined as the the lockdown face um so in terms of findings then from my uh, initial survey and and the poll that was sent out online more or less half of the of the correspondents did indicate sorry the participants did indicate that they had noticed or they had perceived some kind of distortion in their self-perception during video conferencing. And of those, some of them had considered the idea of undergoing um, cosmetic surgery. Now, Mm. of course, it was just the consultation. So whether or not they actually decided to undergo cosmetic surgery was, was another thing. But what they were indicating was that they were noticing their flaws more or their perceived flaws and that they also believed that others would perceive their flaws more due to the time that they were spending online, something that they had never perhaps noticed um, before. So they were the, the initial findings of the study of this uh, so-called okay. I can totally relate to that because I know mm-hmm. for me being online and teaching and mm-hmm. And doing webinars, I notice things about myself, <laughs> and I've actually, you know, gone back to the dentist to um, to do a few things. Were they uh, w- was in your within your sample? Was there a particular link with with any professions? Not necessarily. So the sample was relatively randomised in the mm-hmm. sense that it, it was distributed via email and via social networks, but in a in a random sense. Of course, uh, the female cohort was the the cohort that indicated general interest in cosmetic surgery overall. Mm-hmm. So this is not only connected to the Zoom boom, but statistically, women are uh, are the the cohort that usually undergo cosmetic surgery compared to men. We're looking at around about seventy five percent of women and only twenty five percent of men. So. <clears throat> It wasn't necessarily connected to the Zoom boom in that sense. It was just the, the interest in the topic. Mm. It appeals more to, to the female gender. And uh, 
therefore, naturally, it, it, more females were indicating the interest in cosmetic surgery on the whole. Wow. And some overall findings from the survey that you did. Yeah. So overall, then, as I said, um, over half of the participants said that they had noticed a distortion in their self-perception. Around 81% of those said that uh, seeing themselves constantly online has drawn greater attention to their facial features. So that was one of the main elements that they indicated as why they believed that uh, um, spending time, why they had a, a change to their perception um, as such. You can um, sort of understand that because normally if you're in a meeting, you don't pull a mirror out and look exactly. at yourself. But when you're in a Zoom meeting, you can actually see your face and you can see your exactly. expressions and your reactions at some Exactly. But there is another very important. So while um, the results did indicate that there, that there was a connection, a potential connection between video conferencing and noticing changes to your perception, Another important factor uh, which was investigated and which shouldn't be underestimated in cosmetic surgery in general was the effect of mood and lower mood levels during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And 95% of the participants stated that they had had lower mood levels um, throughout different lockdowns and during the pandemic. And it's important to, to note that uh, one of the reasons behind wanting to undergo cosmetic surgery is not only connected to actually um, noticing flaws that you perceive, but it is also uh, connected to a psychological, or it could be connected mm -hmm. to psychological factors as well. So on the very extreme side of that, we have um, uh, body dysmorphia, mm. which is where anyway looking in the mirror regardless of video conferencing you perceive yourself to be different to, to what others perceive or, or what the reality really is and of course that could have been emphasized during the pandemic why not and during video conferencing but it's also important to consider that the people's moods in general were impacted and therefore that may be a reason why um, people would seek out consultations and or uh, interventions uh, per se. Goodness me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And obviously your your sample you, you mentioned is with adults because um, it's yeah. not possible to do this research with minors. Mm. As a sort of hypothesis, yeah. what, what do you think the effect is on our learners, our so, teens and our, our younger learners? Yeah, absolutely. So I can speak, I think, from a, from a teacher perspective here. So even though I'm, I'm teaching um, young adults at the moment, so first year university students, um, as well as others, I think that from a teacher's perspective, in general, social media, regardless of the pandemic, and, and as we spoke about before, taking photos, selfies that are published, and how that might distort image, was very, very likely um, increased and worsened by also spending time in lessons with 
videos and webcams may be on or off um, and that probably uh, at such a sensitive time uh, which mm. is you know the teenage years I would hypothesize that it, it could have quite a severe impact on how teenagers perceive themselves they are already under a, a great deal of pressure peer mm. pressure if we like or pressure that they put on themselves it's a difficult time hormonal changes and on top of that there are the social media pressures so the selfies that we that we all are very aware of now and then being forced into the classroom where clearly and you know I've experienced it myself there is um, how could I say there's a, a great deal of, of discomfort from, from some of the students. They would really prefer not to turn on their webcams and for people mm -hmm. not to, to see them online. Yeah. And as we know, I think one of the main excuses is, oh, my connection's not very good. I can't turn on my webcam today or it's not working. But in reality, it's very likely that they are feeling very self-conscious and they would prefer not to either look at themselves for long mm. periods of time or would prefer others to not be studying them for such long periods of time, um, which is something that, you know, doesn't really happen so much in the classroom. Well, I mean, in a Zoom classroom, you don't, I mean, in a normal classroom context, you don't see everybody's faces, do you? You see exactly the people, the people in the around, room, you. around you but not you're not looking at everyone um, whereas in an online classroom you can see everyone I mean it's good for us as teachers to see to check that our learners are engaged but I don't know how beneficial it is for them really um, no. and I can totally sympathize with them <laughs> yes Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I, when I am t teaching or perhaps just in, in online meetings rather than teaching, I notice what I look like. I think about the position of my webcam, the position of my PC, the lighting, whether it's in front of me, behind me. So these are things that I consider as an adult and I, you know, I, I'm relatively happy with my, with my image on the whole but it doesn't mean that I don't notice uh, what could be perceived as a flaw. So absolutely. I mean, mm. this study started a little bit because I was already investigating cosmetic surgery. So obviously I was very aware of aesthetics and how people discuss them. And then we were all catapulted into this situation where the only real way we could speak to each other was uh, through a screen. Yeah, um, we've actually just got a comment here from Sir Joe. Um, who says, I always respect if people want to leave their cameras off on Zoom. Mm, mm, and I think, um, I think I've, I kind of got, I mean, obviously my teens, some of them were in bed. <laughs> so they, were in, they were still engaged and so they had their cameras off. Um, I think okay. sort of being kind and um, a little bit giving. If they're not doing the work, obviously, no. But if they are still doing the work and participating, I think we can, um, we should respect their wishes, support them. Yes, um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? So the automatic response is, of course, yes, I agree with, with Joe and I, I agree with you as well. Uh, people should never be forced to turn on their webcams. Um, I think it's important from a teacher perspective to 
to make sure that the students we know that the students are there that they're that they're still following the lesson and you know we can check that through a variety of things we can check that you know by them giving us a thumbs up if we mm -hmm. ask a question in response and we can see that coming through um, obviously if it's question and answer time they you get an answer from them they, they they unmute and they answer so we know that they're still there I think maybe from a teacher perspective and I think we've all maybe been through this it creates quite a lot of anxiety when you don't when you can't see your students because obviously we're, we're used to looking at them in the classroom and I think it is important to, to strike the right balance and to be aware of the reasons why students might not be um, wanting to turn on their webcams and, mm. and respecting that but at the same time making you know as I said making sure that they are engaged in, in what's going I think age also has a lot to do with it because I think I was watching a, um, an online clip recently and this was more for primary learners but the the teacher was teaching, I think, in India, and initially her students didn't want to turn their cameras on, and she encouraged them to to find backgrounds, exciting backgrounds, and by doing that, the the learners felt less em, embarrassed or inhibited um, by their surroundings, and they could have these sort of crazy virtual backgrounds and after that everyone kept their cameras on that's great that's a very nice simple idea but, but functional I think that sounds like a, a wonderful way to engage young learners and it it increases the level of motivation and enthusiasm as well just to, to show off the background that you found for today's lesson I think that's a, a nice uh, an effective way of, of, of perhaps breaking down those those barriers and, and that anxiety that that they may be feeling about um, sharing their webcam. So, yeah, that's great. And Tom Rogers totally agrees with you, Roxanne. It's his comment. <laughs> I love it when somebody totally agrees with me. Thank you, <laughs> Tom Rogers. Appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Um, you wouldn't want, you don't want, it's not a good thing to disagree with you, is it, Roxanne? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Um, just on that point, sorry, before perhaps you want to move on, Jane, the other thing um, <laughs> that I was thinking about, um, I love the background, changing the backgrounds and putting fun backgrounds, that's a great idea. Um, the other function that I think is available on, on all platforms now, which does tend to encourage them to want to turn on their webcams, uh, particularly the, the teenage age range, is the use of, of grouping them. So, I mean, it's known as breakout rooms on Zoom as well as on Microsoft Teams. I believe it's also available in Google Classrooms. And I found that while in the main room with me, they may have been more reticent and didn't turn on the webcams as much. When I sent them off into to do group work and they were in groups of three or four, I did ask them if they would be willing to turn on their webcams while at least they were in groups. Um, also because it creates a little bit more of a collaborative um, sense of, um, of working together. And I, and I found that in that case, when I popped around to see what they were doing, I would find them with uh, webcams on when totally, I might not agree with you there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know a, um, a colleague of mine in another university here said that the feedback that they got from their learners was that they loved doing pair work, so one to one. We're, 
I've had uh, some other feedback from another colleague, a colleague that you know as well, uh, Jane, who's been a guest on your show. And she also said that when she was implementing the breakout rooms, that, that some of the teenage boys made special requests to be put in with some <laughs> specific teenage girls and said, please, please put me in the breakout room with that girl. So, you know, I think breakout rooms um, break down a lot of barriers <laughs> and also yeah. clearly provide... Um, a platform for, for flirting and getting to know other members of the class, even if you're not physically there. So, um. Well, I think for a lot, I mean, certainly during lockdown, I'm not sure about what your teaching situation is this term, but a lot of my classes are actually going back online, which is a right. good sign. Mm, um, no. It's the only time they actually get to socialise and mm-hmm. relax. Absolutely. Um, Roxanne, we're going to continue this conversation because it is really interesting. Yeah. I'm just going to go to the news for a second. Okay. Okay. Um, and we'll be back in about five, six minutes. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Upland. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The NAS UWT Union has reported that pressure on teachers across Wales is increasing as the exam season approaches. Neil Butler from the Union said, I see and speak to teachers most days and they report to me that they are absolutely exhausted. On top of this, the Welsh Government has said we are launching into an entirely new curriculum in September. It's been very difficult to be able to concentrate on those needs when basically holding the whole ship together has been the priority. There's a lot of work being done on the mental health and well-being of the learners, but precious little on teachers and support staff. And I think the response will be that a lot of teachers will just get out. The Education Minister, Jeremy Miles, explained that teachers have been asked to do more than during normal times and said, we've set ourselves the goal of trying to give a couple of weeks notice of changes when that's been possible. But there have been times when that just wasn't possible. I do recognise how challenging this is. In England, Ofqual has stated that grade boundaries were likely to be lowered to account for the loss of learning. An East Midlands education body has, however, indicated that this may not be the most effective way to mitigate the impact of the pandemic. Nick Rain, Senior Regional Officer at the National Education Union East Midlands, said, My interpretation was somewhat different. What they're going to do is they're giving people more vindication of what may or may not be on the examinations because students have missed so much. Some of the reports in newspapers are actually inaccurate. I mean, I don't think anyone reasonable is going to suggest when students have missed weeks and weeks and weeks in cases of learning with a teacher that they're going to be able to sit exactly the same examination as people in previous years who didn't. Obviously, it just doesn't make any common sense, so that's the reality of the situation. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, for some it's half term, for others there's another week to wait. Today I'm going to talk about a YouTube hack. We all know there are some great explanation videos out there, but sometimes we just want to use a short clip, not the whole thing. Did you know you can save a link to start at a time that you specify? If you didn't, here's the simplest way to do it. Go to the YouTube video you want and pause where you want to start. Hover the pointer over the red line that shows where you're up to in the video and a red circle will appear. Right click on the red circle and a menu pops up. On the menu, select copy video URL at current time. 
Now you have a link that will take you to that time in the video. Okay, now we can start a video at any time we want. There is a way to use this to our advantage. I don't know about you, but the ads at the start of some clips can be rather annoying. If you start your video one second in, using the method just described, more often than not, you'll avoid having to sit through the adverts. Please remember to keep yourself safe. Anyone can upload anything to sites like YouTube. Please make sure you have watched the whole clip yourself before playing it in the classroom. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Here, I, sorry, I apologize for that. Um, Roxanne, I think go back to, um, go back to your, um, your previous solution, because there's even more echo this time. Um, I'm, I was actually just um, enjoying Two Minute Tech as I always do. Um, and one of the, the things that I actually found a YouTuber who I really like, who does give really good suggestions. I believe her name's Gia. Um, she gives really good su suggestions for your appearance online. Roxanne, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. I didn't know if I was muted then or not. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a, a chance to listen to Gia. She gives some very good lighting suggestions to, to look good on in Zoom meetings. <laughs> I haven't had the chance actually to, to listen to Gia, but it is something that I uh, myself have even said to my students. Now, not actually so that they look better, but actually so that we can see them. Um, because I'm aware, and I think we've all learned, that if you do sit in front of a window, i.e. the window is behind you, um, mm. your, your face becomes dark. And therefore, uh, it's difficult then to interpret facial features and, and, and to see each other. So even though, I, yes, I am personally aware that if you've got more light in your face, uh, then that does make you appear better online. Also, from a teaching perspective, I, I do try to encourage my students to, to sit so that we can see them if they, you know, if they are participating with the webcams on. Yeah. So it's good advice. Good advice to check the lighting. <laughs> check the lighting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But then again, sometimes and I can see some of my learners are struggling. Someone's on the phone, someone's on the laptop, someone's on the main computer. So it's not always possible for them, which would explain why they don't want their cameras on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's interesting, and this is not something that I've studied, but it is interesting how teenagers or the frequency that teenagers tend to, to take selfies right? Because it's a trend, mm. it's, it's fashionable. We all take selfies, but I think it's something that we associate a little bit more to the, to the teenage age range, but yet, um, and so that's something that they perhaps then put their filters on and they touch it up and they make it look from their perspective as perfect as possible. But then on the flip side, they find it, um, or some of them find it quite daunting to, to want to have their webcams on. Um, Perhaps it is uh, a feeling they don't have so much control over the filters and these kinds of things. And I think that raises quite an important question regarding uh, 
the extent to which we use technology to alter our appearance. And this also comes round a little bit as well to, you know, when uh, celebrities get photoshopped mm. and the message that that then sends out to youngsters and therefore youngsters put their filters on for their selfies. And then we come to online teaching and they want to put filters, extra filters on to make the, you know, the beauty effect or I think it's called something like that. There is something like that in Zoom, I believe. You can touch yourself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I, I just think it's an interesting connection between technology now, what it does for us, but how it's also potentially damaging us as well because uh, it's distorting. It's distorting our image, our well, own image. I hope you can give us some more answers in the future. Um, you're, you're doing other research as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so I, I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, I think. So my main point of focus is, is actually to do with medical communication, so healthcare communication. And I am looking at the field of cosmetic surgery. But what I'm particularly investigating is how the interaction takes place between the cosmetic surgeon or the plastic surgeon, and there is a difference there. I'll maybe come back to that in a second. <clears throat> and the patient. Um, so just for those of us listening, I'll be very. I'll try to be brief. Uh, plastic surgery, as a as a field, is what we would consider for reconstructive purposes. So it is something that is also provided by uh, public health services, i.e., it could be for skin grafting, mm. reconstruction, also trauma, hand surgery, uh, and and things like that. So that would be the the category of plastic, while cosmetic is purely for reasons of enhancing appearance. Now, obviously, the, those who are cosmetic surgeons need to be specialists in plastic surgery. Um, that isn't always the case, but that should be um, mm -hmm. the case. So, of course, they are all doctors. They might not all be plastic surgeons. Um, and so for my actual project, I'm looking only purely at cosmetic surgery for the moment. So I am extremely uh, interested in how the patients identify the reasons that take them to their consultations, mm -hmm. how the surgeons and the consultants themselves um, guide the patients, how they explain the procedures, how they investigate in full the reasons why a person wants to alter or enhance, as I said before, a part of their body. And it's also extremely interesting to check from an ethical perspective the extent to which the, the surgeons also investigate um, whether or not it is necessary or doable for those patients. So I mentioned before, you know, there are extreme cases of body dysmorphia. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, it's, it's extremely important that the surgeons really investigate the psychological state of the patients and whether or not it is something which is doable, which they believe is ethically acceptable. And if it's not, then of course they 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 would it would be expected that they would refuse to, to carry out that kind of um, that kind of operation. Mm. On the flip side, another very important topic which has emerged and I'm I'm still investigating, so I'm in my final year and I'm I'm currently looking now at all of my consultations, they've been recorded. And so I'm listening to them, I'm transcribing them and investigating. And an extremely important topic is that of self-esteem. Mm. Uh, so on the flip side, so moving far away now from body dysmorphia, there were several patients that I spoke to who had thought long and hard about enhancing a part of their body and they weren't just doing it on a whim. 
that they had saved money and thought about it for a long time and were coming to their consultation almost convinced um, that they wanted to undergo something. So let's say it might be a facelift or it could be um, an, a blepharoplasty. So that's when you uh, do, let's call it an eye lift. So right. upper and, and lower eyelids. Um, and they were extremely convinced. So they thought about it for a long time. And one of the key words that comes up is they say, it bothers me. This particular part of my body or this thing that I perceive bothers me. Mm. And if you can resolve it for me, I would feel much better about myself. And if you speak to patients afterwards, which of course I have, um, they, they express that very same sentiment. I feel so much better. My self-esteem is much increased. I don't feel that people are staring at that particular part of me anymore. Uh, and on the whole, in theory, that is what cosmetic surgery should be about. Um, mm. Making people feel better about themselves, enhancing a particular part of their body. And the stigma which is attached to plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery um, is perhaps not entirely warranted. Um, women in particular are given a very hard time about deciding to have something done and there's a great deal of discussion about wanting to hide it not i don't want it to be noticeable i don't want people to know how long will the bruising last recovery time and, and things like that and women are particularly uh, I, I don't want to use the word victim victim is is, is too strong but women are given a hard time yeah. having decided to do something the same level that and on the same level men are not and i've also done a study on that i looked at the british press and i, I carried out a, a corpus linguistic study into how cosmetic surgery is, is discussed in the press in terms of women and men and on the whole women there were terms being used as such as women are desperate um they're they're, they're afraid that they're going to lose their man Whereas men, on the other hand, it's just a mention of, oh, well, it's just a midlife crisis, but it's, you know, they do it, but it's not a big deal. So there's a, it's very much minimized when it comes to men. Um, and women instead are, are seen as, the, the main adjective that came out of the press was, was desperate. Uh, so that was another study that I, that I carried out as well. Well, that, I mean, that's, I've just got a message from Seema. Can you move a little bit closer to your microphone? Because you're a little bit soft. Me? Is that yeah. a little bit better? That's I don't great. Know. Okay, I'll hold it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, I'm but also because what you're saying is really, really interesting. Oh, no, it's a shame that you can't hear me very well. Okay, I've got it yeah. under my, my nose now, so it's better. It's much better, much better. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so no, that's I, me. That's my re Sorry, go ahead, Jane. No, I mean, I do find that really sad. Um, and um, I think... I know certainly for men, you know, things like hair loss are dramatic mm -hmm. yeah. in terms of, of self-esteem. But if they do something about it, um, I don't think it is a midlife crisis. I think it's just wanting to work on themselves and we should be treating women in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. I oh, think it's all about... That's, it seems has also said something really interesting. As you were saying, mm -hmm. the concept of the silver fox... Mm -hmm, women mm -hmm. with grey hair as opposed to men with grey hair. <laughs> I know, I know. It's dual standards uh, and it's 
dual standards that, that that are likely to continue for for a very long time i would say and it very much depends on us it depends on the way that we uh, so you know i i look particularly at discourses so how we discuss and and portray in writing or in speaking different topics and it depends on 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 us how we talk about others and how we uh, disseminate our opinions on social media and, and the press has an extremely important role to play in that the television as well mass media um, there are there are significant dual standards which which are, are are evident and this is evident also within within my my corpus and my study with with cosmetic surgery as well Joe's just add, added true yeah. equality and equity will only happen when it doesn't matter how others look or mm -hmm. what sex people are. Um, I'm looking forward to that day, Joe. Mm. I think in the meantime, though, just talking to you this morning, a, a really interesting lesson is kind of growing, brewing, brewing. <laughs> um, because I think we can start with our teams and have yeah. good conversations about this. Yes, absolutely. So, and, and using images, before and afters, mm -hmm. as Seema said, men with grey hair, women with grey hair. Um, yeah, but that sounds like a good lesson plan that's going to come out of this so, conversation. Great. I'm happy. I'm happy to be of help. Um, <laughs> it's important. Promoting positive body image is extremely important. And uh, Joe is right, of course. Yeah. It's true that equality and equity will only happen when, when it when it doesn't matter what others look like. And in an ideal world, that, that, that's true. Why, why shouldn't that be true? Um, but the reality is that what we are all exposed to is this ideal of, and I'm, I'm doing air speech marks perfection, um, because we're all faced with it continuously in magazines, on the television, on the internet. People who become, uh, who are actors and singers, I don't, I can't give a percentage, but half of what they do is very much based on their image. Uh, and so unfortunately, it's the society that, that we live in. Um, mm. And it would be great to be less superficial. Of course, it would be. Um, but you know, my study, I'm looking to investigate it. I'm looking to really to delve into the, the reasons why people want to enhance their images and uh, their, their, their image and their bodies. And, um, you know, moving forward, we'll, we'll see where that dialogue takes us and where the narratives lead. I hope it leads us to a better place. Um, but in the, the classroom meantime, is a good place to start, Jane. You're quite right. Mm. The, the, the get, the, get them young. My, my, my concern is... Well, I sometimes think, the other day I said to Jamie, do you really need to eat that, Jamie? Are you body shaming me, Mum? No, no, I'm not. I'm just asking you. Do you really need to have that? There you go. So he's using he's using the hot topic and the key term against his mother. Yes. Well, you know that that, that seems normal to me. That, that you would be the you would be the target of that. Why not? It's quite a good comeback, though. Of course it is. It's a very good comeback. I bet it took you aback. How do you how do you answer that? Well, no, darling. I just don't think you need to eat. You know, it's a the tough yeah, one. Exactly. I mean, you know, you. I think you've met him. He does like his food. 
<laughs> he's half Italian, Jane, so you know the Italians like their food. I know, but he's a bit he's a bit over the top. But anyway, um, I'm going to ask you a few silly questions. Okay, hit me, Roxanne. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I think I would like to fly. Can you hear me? Okay, I'd like to be able to fly because I fly pre-pandemic I fly on a regular basis anyway so why not be able to fly myself and uh, fly wherever that may be so I love traveling but go back and see my family they're listening as well hi mum and dad um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to you and yeah flying Jane definitely flying fly like a bird mm, me too I think we one of them um, okay. If you're a type of food, Roxanne, what food would you be? That's a tricky one. I think it's going to have to be something Italian because after all these years here, I can't just ignore the, the Italian cuisine. I think I would like to be a parmigiana, which is not very easily translatable. Jane, I'll let you translate it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there is a translation for it. <laughs> and it's only because it's my favorite food. There's no other real reason for that. I just like it. So parmigiana, for those of you listening, it's a little bit like a lasagna, but it, instead of using pasta, it's made with fried um, aubergines, which are all layered up with cheese in the middle and tomato sauce. It's one of the best things that you can eat in the south of Italy. So when you get to come over, try it. Seema, so no, it's not a cheesy aubergine. It's actually, um, my husband would correct Roxanne and say, Roxanne, it's oh. not, not tomato sauce. It's ragu, which is the sauce that has meat cooked in it. <laughs> so it's even richer. Correct. We actually no, no, it's not a cheesy aubergine. No, 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 it, no, it's like layered. It's a bit like, it looks like a lasagna when you look at it, but there's mm. no pasta in it. We had one on Saturday evening, which was pretty good. <laughs> Did you make um, it? Did you make no, it? No, no. I didn't make it. The restaurant made it for us. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like one. That, that sounds great too. Yeah, but Massimo was like, why didn't they eat all of the other vegetables? And I said, because the panjan was so good. They, could, they only needed to eat that. That's right. Roxanne. Yes. One more question for you. Mm. If you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would you choose? Maybe somebody like Michelle Obama, oh. or maybe even Barack. Why not be in the in a man's shoes? Somebody like Barack Obama. I would love to one be that inspiring, and two walk a day in 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 the life of Barack Obama. So I'm going to go for Barack over Michelle, not for a gender preference, just because Barack is, is Barack. There's nothing else to add. He also posted a, a wonderful Valentine's message to his wife. So Barack is the man for me. That's it. Barack. <laughs> so are you listening to the podcasts with Bruce Springsteen? No, I haven't, but I'm going to look them up. Well, the Renegades, they're, um, they're really good listen. I will. I yeah, will. It's Barack and Bruce chatting about life and America and all things American. Mm -hmm. But they're really, it's really nice to listen to them and sort of learn more about how they grew up. 
I have to say, Jane, you're the one that's bringing me into this world of podcasts, to be honest. Um, you're, you're opening up a world to me. I, I listened into the radio yesterday, and I don't. I think it was maybe somebody called Graham, and mm-hmm. they were talking about the best way to, to organize a podcast, how long it should be, how you should do it. So I'm, I'm going to get myself geared up. I'm going to start podcasting. Why not? It's all very exciting. Um, so thanks, Jane, for opening these doors to me. I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And yeah, no, um, I think you've got a lot to say and, and continue to inform us about. about Can I self- plug myself? Am I allowed to plug myself? <laughs> of course you are. Actually, no, because so, um, I, I am, as, as you mentioned, very, very heavily into research and, it, and you know, it's, it's my passion and it's the direction that I'd like to keep going in. And so I'd love to share. And I am on Twitter, but recently. So if you want to uh, follow me, I would love that. And my, can I write it in the chat or I'll say it? So it's at Holly Padley because my yep. second name is Holly and my first name, uh, my surname is Padley. And uh, I will, after our chat, Jane, I'll definitely be thanking the show, you, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share some of the, these papers and this research that I, that I tried to summarize for you today. Perfect. So, well, I think you have summarized plug. all of it really, really well. Um, so this is the future. We're going to hear more from Roxanne. I hope so. If you have me again, I'll, I'll come along. Love to, ha- <laughs> love to have you back. And it's always lovely, lovely talking to you. Um, thinking about you and the work that you're doing, what advice mm-hmm. would you give to someone wanting to enter your profession? Mm. That's a great question, Jane. Um, I think the first characteristic that is necessary is to be tenacious. Tenacious and then secondly and almost on the same level, curious. Um, <laughs> and if you don't really have those, those, those two uh, attributes, it doesn't mean that you couldn't do research, but I think you, you need a lot of self-motivation to, to, to drive yourself forward and to keep that interest in whatever topic it is going. Mm. Um, and so you've got to be somebody who's curious and you've got to be self-motivating. So when I say tenacious, I mean that, you know, in the sense of, of, of don't give up. And then I think you need to be passionate about it. Whatever that area, the area is that you're, that you're wanting to investigate and wanting to specialize in. And so, you know, there's so much to go on in, in the world of teaching and education. Um, you've got to be passionate about it because you're the first person that will be convincing others of, of, of your research. And mm. if you're not passionate about it, you're ne- it's not going to take you that far um, because you've got to convince others that what you're doing is valid, that you're giving some kind of contribution to the scientific community, that you're doing it not only for yourself, but you're doing it for the good of others. And also in my case, um, I try to apply this communication between doctors and patients in the classroom with my students who study medicine. So they're going to be doctors in the future. So I bring my experience to the classroom and I say to them, how do you intend to communicate? Um, so my advice is that you know, passion, you need to be passionate, be tenacious and be curious. I find it interesting because I knew you as a teacher mm. and your students always loved you <laughs> and you were a brilliant English language teacher. So I can only imagine how you're working now. How much do you think your teaching as an English or 
language teacher has helped you? Immensely. Immensely because it's helped me in a, in a number of ways. First of all, I haven't abandoned it. I'm still teaching. So um, hmm. the training that it gives you, being in the classroom, speaking in front of people, uh, just from my initial experience as an ELT teacher, that's all transferable. That's transferable into the world of research. Um, when you teach children uh, or teenagers how to structure a report, how to write an essay, that's something that you transfer into a bigger scale into your own research. Speaking, public speaking, presentations. It, when you're in the classroom, in a way, you're, you're always doing a mini version of a, of a public speech. So when you come to give a presentation to 200 people, it's not as daunting as it might be for somebody who doesn't stand in front of people and, and explain and talk. So a lot. I owe a lot to my grounding and the way that I, I started as a teacher. And it's all transferable. And I definitely have not forgotten where I came from in this journey. Well, that's brilliant. Um, it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope me. to have you back soon. I would love to come back. Great. Okay. And next week I'll be speaking to Anne Robinson, who is a teacher, an author, a trainer, and um we will be back next week for the morning break on Wednesday. Thank you to Roxanne for joining us and happy Tim Tam, happy Tim Tam Day. And I will see you all next week. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Oh, don't forget Harry this afternoon with Miranda. <laughs> so looking forward to it. Have a lovely day, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.